0: Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 through 6 and 10 through 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out of the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones, I will cause breath into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews on you, and you will cause flesh to come upon them and cover you with skin. And you put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet a vast multitude. And he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and, you, and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will act, says the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Twenty years ago, I was sent by my presbytery to a very small country church in rural East North Carolina. They had been without a pastor for over two years. And according to the presbytery, someone needed to go out, spend time with the session, and begin discussions about closing the church. So I called one of the elders, and I asked how they were doing. And he said, well, I'd love for you to come out and preach for us this Sunday and and then maybe have the sacrament because we haven't had communion in over two years. And I said, sure, I'll be happy to do that. And then he gave me directions to the church. You see, the church didn't have a street address because it had been built in the middle of a farmer's cotton field. He said, don't worry. If you just head out that country road, you're going to see the church, you're going to see it off in the distance. It's in the middle of the field, you can't miss it. So I hung up, and as I did, I began to pray for that little church. How sad, I thought, to close a church. And I began to imagine empty pews, and I began to imagine empty hallways, I imagined a dry, lifeless place in the middle of a bleak cotton field, a place with no hope and no future. Well, friends, that's exactly what the prophet Ezekiel sees in God's people, the conquered exiled people of Israel. In the passage that Kevin just read, that prophet has a vision, and in that vision God brings him to a valley. It's full of bones, and they are very dry, very dead. It's a dramatic image without hope, without a future, isn't it? And God leads the prophet into this sad, desolate place and then speaks. Ezekiel, says God, my people say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are cut off. But Ezekiel, what do you say? Can these bones live? Can these bones live? The question, it lingers in the air. The question echoes over every dry bone of grief and despair. Can these bones live? Friends, it's a powerful question, one that still lingers in the air and echoes over every dry and lifeless place in our soul, in our family, in our church, in our country. And I hear it whispered all the time. I'll bet you do too. Can these bones live? The question lingers over the dry bones of grief when families must move on after the death of a loved one. Can these live? It lingers over the dry bones of fear when we watch loved ones sink into depression. Or addiction. It lingers over the dry bones of despair when the diagnosis is dire or the financial news is dismal. It lingers over the dry bones of hatred and ignorance and injustice as institutions and nations retreat from working for the common good, the common future of our planet, or even worse, when they seek to destroy or dehumanize the other, whoever the other. Might be. Friends, that question lingers over the Donbass region of Ukraine this morning. And that question lingers over Uvalde, Texas today as families bury their beautiful children. Senseless death. Politicians point fingers and they posture and people keep dying. So who can help but ask that question this morning? Where is our hope? Have a better future for our children. Is there new life? Can these bones live? Such an important question. It might be even the most important question on your heart this day. That's why we must pay close attention to Ezekiel's answer, to Ezekiel's response. In the middle of this vast vision of lifelessness, when confronted by God's question, Ezekiel does the most faithful thing possible. Did you see it? Ezekiel does nothing. Nothing. He doesn't try to clean up the body of bones, people, and skeletons together. He doesn't run out and form a resuscitation committee to investigate the possibilities for new life. He doesn't even scour his memory to quote God's word from the past as a decent answer to God's question. No, Ezekiel's experience of God and dry bone places brings him to one faithful resting place, hope, a future and new life for nations and families, for churches, for each of us, that's God's to give. You see, Ezekiel looks out on this valley of dry bones and he understands, humanly speaking, it's over for Israel. And Ezekiel knows that only God can provide the spirit necessary to make dry bones live again. So he answers. You know God, you know, and he waits. He waits upon God. Now that is faithfulness, my friends. That's the picture of faithfulness, and here's the funny thing about faithfulness. It can put us in wonderfully strange places as instruments of God. Because what's the very next thing that happens to Ezekiel? The next thing he knows, God is commanding him to preach. Preach to dry bones. Go on, Ezekiel. Tell them. Tell these bones, hear the word of the Lord. It is a strange visual, maybe because I have an active imagination. Maybe because I'm a preacher, it really catches my imagination, but seriously, I imagine Ezekiel taking a deep breath and looking out at nothing but bones and dust. There in that valley with the question, can these bones live still lingering in the air? And the answer, you know, O oh God you know, lingering as well, Ezekiel did what he was told. And as ludicrous as it seems, he began to speak life over those dry bones. And guess what? God did know. The bones came together. They stood up. God filled them with spirit, with hope, with life. Tell my people, God said, tell them I will bring you back to your land, bring you up from your graves, put my spirit within you, and place you on your soil. Friends, if you know your Old Testament history, then you know it's exactly what God did for Israel. And that's exactly what God can do in any dark valley, in any dry place, with any bones of despair or evil or fear. That's exactly what God did for someone named Paul, the Apostle Paul, on a dusty road to Damascus. Paul was there, a man filled with hatred and violence and arrogance enough for three men. You know his story, the young Pharisee out to get Christians trying to round them up and persecute them for religious crimes on his way to the city of Damascus. But before he could get there, he was struck down by light, by blindness, by fear, and a voice. Jesus himself saying, stop fighting me, Paul. Go and join my disciples in Damascus. Paul was left in the dust, unable to see, unable to speak. They had to take him by the hand and lead him to Damascus where he laid there for three days. Three days, no sight, no food, no drink, dried up, cut off, waiting. And then God begins to do God's thing. The story is in the ninth chapter of Acts. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up, go to the street called Straight, at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he's praying, and he's seen in a vision that a man named Ananias will come to him and lay hands on him so he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said, Go, for he is an instrument, whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings, and before the people of Israel." So Ananias, like Ezekiel, has a choice, and like Ezekiel, he is faithful. He becomes God's instrument, and he goes to Paul. He introduces himself, and he does what he's told. And Ananias went and entered the house. He laid hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm here so you can gain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. And Ananias spoke those words of hope over the dry bones of his life, and at that moment, Paul's life changes. Here by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul's transformation begins, and he's never the same, and neither in a way is the world. Because everything he said or wrote or did from that day forward was an attempt to speak life over the dry bones of his day. An attempt to change others as he had been changed. Friends, it has been a tough week. But I want to remind you this morning, we worship a God who resuscitates who sends new spirit into dry bones, new life into lost hope, and new roads for those cut off from mercy and from justice. And at our best, at our most faithful, you and I and the church, we continue to hear that question lingering in our world, can these bones live? And at our best, we answer, you know, oh God, you know. And at our best, we wait. We wait to be led by God to speak life into dry and desolate places. On a beautiful Sunday morning 20 years ago, I drove two hours into the rural countryside of North Carolina. All I could think about was that poor church that was about to close, All the time that I was driving, I was wondering what kind of valley of dry bones I might be entering, and sure enough, after about two hours of country driving, there it was, a small white church in the middle of a cotton field. But I've got to tell you, there was nothing desolate about it. Because the cotton was still in the field, it was bright white, and it was full And that church looked for all the world to be floating on a cloud, and not just the church. There were dozens of cars and trucks floating on the cloud all around that church, parked all around it. And when I arrived, there wasn't anything deserted or quiet about this place. I got out of my car and stood in the parking lot just taking it all in. The sound of laughter, laughter of children coming from classroom windows, the incredible smell of fried chicken wafting from the church kitchen, and people, y'all, dozens of people gathered in clean, bright, well-prepared sanctuary just waiting to have communion for the first time in two years. Apparently, no one told this church that it was about to close. (laughs) No one told this place that when you don't have a pastor, your bones are dried up and your hope is lost and you're cut off from being a church. Apparently, the Spirit was blowing through that place, filling it with hope and with life. seems there was an elder in the church, an energetic young farmer, who heard God ask, can these bones live? and who also heard God's command to preach to those bones. And for two years, it was that young man, that elder, that led worship in that place, that preached in that place, that spoke words of life into a small, dying, rural church. And the congregation grew by 200% in two years. Instead of closing a church that day, I began the process of training and installing that church's first certified lay pastor. I should have known. If I had remembered Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones, if I would remembered Paul being filled by the Spirit with Ananias' prayer, if I would remembered that God raised Jesus from the dead and does the same for each one of us, I should have suspected that the resurrection of a beautiful little rural church was just the kind of thing our God would do. But here's the problem, it's not easy to remember, it's not easy to wait, and it's not easy to be faithful in the face of a valley of dry bones. It took years of preaching and teaching, giving and gathering for that little church I'm talking about to become what I experienced that Sunday morning. And it took generations for Ezekiel's vision for Israel to be realized. And it took the Apostle Paul a lifetime, a lifetime to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you know anything about Paul's story, you know that he spent the rest of his life from Damascus on facing valleys of dry bones. Dry bones of imprisonment. Dry bones of character assassinations by his enemies, dry bones of disagreement with dear, dear friends. Yes, Paul looked over the desolate valley of his beloved churches, churches tired and worn out, churches fractured and unfaithful, and in a moment of frustration he wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia about the power of the Spirit a power he had experienced in his own life, and a power he wanted for them and for the world. You see, here's what the Apostle Paul knew, that by the Spirit's power, little by little, the forgiven person becomes a forgiving person. The person who finds they are loved, little by little, becomes capable of loving. The weak one that God has faith in anyway, little by little, becomes faithful. And in time, little by little, good works blossom from his branches, from her branches, like fruit from a well-watered tree, fruit that is sweet, fruit that is tender. Paul wrote about such fruit, saying, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit." If we live by the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. By the Spirit's power, little by little, we are meant to change. We are meant to transform. We're meant to make this world a sweeter, holier place. By the grace of God, every dry valley, any dry valley, can be brought to life. Even when we cannot see it or feel it, even when our hearts are breaking. Can these bones live? Friends, when you hear this question, when you ask this question, when circumstances whisper this question, remember who our God and what our God does. Dry bone valleys are never too much for our God. In fact, it's in such places that the Spirit does its best work, knitting us together, standing us on our feet, giving us new marching orders, and in time, bearing sweet fruit. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit. Enter into the dry bones of our country the dry bones of our souls, the dry bones of our world, and make us faithful. Make us bold to speak life where we do not see it. Make us bold to bear sweet fruit of hope and compassion where we cannot feel it. In Jesus' name, amen.